Welcome to Shanghai Zhan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts, and you can learn more about Shanghai Zhan at our website, zhanstation.com. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Whitwam, and I'm Ali Kazmi. And Ali, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their continued support. And if you really like the show, share it with your friends, or better yet, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Making this podcast is pure love and not profit. And if you'd like to help us, you can make a donation at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Shanghai Zan. And if you donate, you can get some cool merch. That's one of the big incentives to donate to the show. Ali, today we are talking about the business of fashion. In this case, sports fashion. In 2020, the market size of the sports industry in China reached 300 billion dollars. Sportswear is about 15 percent of that, at 45 billion dollars. In China, sports apparel is equal to fashion apparel, and in many cases, also luxury apparel. And it's a good observation to see that Gucci, Prada, LV—they're all doing sportswear and sportswear and streetwear. It's really difficult these days to understand the difference between luxury fashion and sports fashion. So to unpack it all for us, we have Gavin Lum. Gavin has spent 14 years in China working in marketing for some of the world's biggest sports brands at Widen Kennedy, also Adidas, and most recently as digital brand director at Canadian Lululemon. He's a storyteller, marathon finisher, content creator, and digital experience enabler. Wears pretty cool clothes and is also an active enthusiast in sports and sneaker culture. Gavin, welcome to Shanghai John. Wow! Hey guys, thank you so much. Oh, this is a, what an exciting bio. I, I wonder who, who who wrote the bio, man. But thank you. I think first of all, I'm a big fan of Shanghai Chan. Been following the series, you know, a lot of insights here, and I'm just very humbled to be able to contribute, you know, to this very interesting conversation, which I'm very passionate about. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the comments, and we're also really honored to have you as well. It seems that Lululemon is just going like gangbusters in China these days, so we're interested to hear your insights. So, why don't you just quickly introduce yourself? We know that you're connected to sports and sports apparel and the advertising and marketing for a long time. What's your journey been like? I mean, today sports in China is, you know, worth about 300 billion, as I mentioned in the intro. I think it's safe to say that. You played your part in making a dent in that that industry. So,、uh, how did you get there? And tell us about the journey. I think I, I wouldn't say I made it. Made it. Then I think I've been more than fortunate actually to be and very blessed to be a part of the the, the journey. I think it was almost an, an inevitability that sports has evolved, and I've been very happy to be part of this rising journey. I think when I came to, to China at the time, I was very fortunate that it actually was a, a great moment that I could. Lend my my childhood、uh, passions, you know, interest in sneakers, in sports. You know, growing up watching、uh, watching、uh, the, Chicago, the Chicago Bulls, you know, watching World Cup, you know, the amazing、uh, amazing cast of athletes playing the games, and then it just it was just a dream you know, to be part of the the whole、uh, drive to build the business of sport, you know, so to speak, like, as you mentioned.、And、I think 
if I look back now, I think all things considered, right, I think I've, I've truly seen the evolution of sport in China. I remember when I first joined Wider and Candy in 08, in the midst of the euphoria, I consumed the office as we were looking to launch a, a, a very epic point of view on sports, you know, what it meant for, for a nation you know, that was just coming to terms about sporting excellence. Of course, granted that we've seen a lot of gold medals, achievements uh, in the country in the past, but I think 08 was the time where, where, where China came on, came to the stage, you know, to uh, with a lot of beating the arms and beating, sorry, beating the chest to say, hey, you know, we have arrived, you know, welcome to our home ground, you know, and, 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 and let's play. And that to me was the turning point for sports in China. I think along with the whole the, the passion for growing sports, we've seen that uh, not only was it part of the gold medal ambition, it was also a, a very intentional build to make it a part of life, uh, everyday life and, and of culture. From then on, it's just a crazy trajectory. Because I think that the beauty of sports is, is something that, that actually compounds and grows. You know, the more you feed into the love of sport, the more it grows the, the hunger and, and ambitions for sport. And that's what we saw when, when the, the nation stood behind promoting sports beyond a, a gold model amb- ambition and made it part of everyday life. You know, it started to, to infect the everyday people and to make it a part of their whole lifestyle. You know, and then fast forward, 14 years later, if you look at the recently completed Beijing Olympics actually last year, uh, you know, it was almost like a homecoming, like almost a second milestone for Beijing. Like in 08, it's about coming to the stage, you know, about, about arrival to the big game. And then in 22, it's almost they're now playing host. Hey, now, you know, come back to, to my home ground, you know, and this, this is the time where I want to show you how far we've, we've come. You know, the innovation we've, we've, been, we've been driving, you know, we look at uh, and how at the games, it was a reflection of how lo- local brands like, like uh, Anta and Lining have come, have, have come to, 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 to the front, leading and driving product innovation, you know, driving sneaker culture, you know, and then developing a lot of development in uh, digital ecosystems through contents, events, just making it part of the whole culture of sport within the nation. Moving fast forward to today, I mean, sports and fashion, one of the things we clearly see is a massive amount of crossover. Even brands are doing crossover with crossover promotions with luxury brands, especially, in, you know, attacking athletics, getting into the whole fashion. What do you think is driving this trend? What's the reason now China has suddenly embraced a higher form of sports fashion than it did maybe let's say, three to four years ago? I think it's a very, very interesting question. I think that the whole hot phrase, you know, in the past few years and even now will be the rise of F-leisure. I don't know if I'm saying that right. F-leisure, yes. And I think also F-luxury, right? It's just the, the whole idea around how athletic sportswear right, has become, has transcended on the, on the court, you know, to before the game and after the game. And then when we talk about F-luxury, there's a lot more, a lot more appetite for something that is a much more higher quality, a higher batch value. You know, and I think this this rise, you know, and this trend, as you mentioned, is I think to me it's driven by two key factors. I think one, rising income and, and affluence. I think uh, your the the your I think right now if you look at it, the the number the number of steps on your WeChat uh, walking account is almost at like the is the latest latest batch now. You know, health has become the latest luxury symbol, you know, and by the expansion, it means that you need to be looking good, you know, feeling good, and you need to be ref- reflecting that kind of lifestyle. And I think health has become a, a, almost a symbol to show that hey, you have arrived, 
you know, and then you are now part of the the elite, so to speak, right? And then the next the next thing that I I saw driving the rise of this trend is the accessibility of sports infrastructure. You see that there's a lot of now a lot more parks, you know, stadiums, basketball courts, roads, you know, even all being built, you know, just to facilitate, you know, and to, to allow the the sports to be to be played, you know, as and when and everywhere you go, it's easy to to organize, easy to attend. And then you see that from there on, that it means that people started to schedule sports in their everyday life, right? So before that, you see that people would be organizing sports, you know, like uh, in a very organized manner, right? before and after work, and right? you just be going to after, to a, to a sporting venue to play like a certain sport after work, and then you see slowly, just out of convenience, people just stopped bothering about changing into and out out of sporting apparel. Right? So they wanted something to wear, you know, in the office. They can just go immediately to to to, to the court of play, and they can be starting. They can just be picking up a game immediately. So, and then that that really was how I started to drive this crossovers. Something that I could wear uh, in the office, you know, and then also immediately, like maybe even cycle a bike to to the basketball court. Mm-hmm. I started playing a game there as well. I don't even have to change. So. Purely driven by convenience and just so much easier to be playing games any time of the day. So that to me drove the whole integration of how sports and fashion came together. You, did, you just needed to look good on the way to playing the game. It also needs to be, the, the, the product needs to also work well on the court. And also you can also then after the game, just be conveniently going home you know, after, after the game as well. You look your best regardless of how much you sweat. Yeah. Before, during, and after. Exactly. That you can maintain the, the same level of, of uh, yeah. Ready oh, for oh. a selfie anytime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. When I was looking for office space, but I remember the real estate agents taking us to different office spaces. And they always said, oh, we got a Starbucks, a Manor, and a Super Monkey. We got a, we got a Manor, a Luckin' Coffee, and a Super Monkey. It always came down to, for listeners that don't know, Super Monkey is a pay-as-you-go fitness place where it was quite fashionable for many of my staff to actually go and work out, go and do an hour workout, come back sweaty to the office and, and work late. <laughs> what do you think about COVID and how has that impacted the fitness craze and the health industry uh, created an impact? Absolutely, absolutely. But in, in everything you know, in, in this world, you know, it's, it's always two sides to it. I think COVID actually obviously drew drove a lot of the the separation, right? It's a lot of uh, regard to uh, social distancing, you know, isolation. But then it also made everybody realize the importance of health, because we knew that those who are more uh, re- re- those who are resilient to 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 the to the to the disease, actually because they were had a much much healthier disposition, they were healthier, they were more fit. And then it also then made people realize, hey, you know, I to to recover and to then to survive. You know, maybe I should go after a fit, have, have a healthier body, a fitter body. So you see then, that actually drove a lot of online consumption of fitness classes. So you see there's an explosion of content. You, know, you could train at home, you know, in comfort of your home by yourself, but also you know, along with other people, you know, through, uh, digitally as well. You know, then, so with that, that's what we saw as well. You know, even though you couldn't play, you know, with your friends or in, in a physical environment, I think you you, just, you could you could still continue to interact digitally, you know, online, uh, going after your fitness through a, a a very rich availability of content. And you mentioned WeChat, the 
fitness app, which is for listeners that know that uh, it just records your steps and then compares you to your other WeChat friends. I don't know if you guys have had this experience where either I'm on a holiday or I one day I just walk a lot and I'm easily at 20, 25,000 steps. And I think, oh, I'm number one. I'll rank the highest amongst my friends this th- today. No problem. And there's some guy usually uh, who gets like 30,000 steps. Like what? I mean, is this guy done Everest or something? I can't imagine that people walk that much. Ali, you ever had that experience? Every time, every day, I think I've done a really good job. I go and have a look. Oh, wow, look. How many? How, you're at 11. Yeah, you've got a friend that's at 31, 39,000 right now. Yeah, I know this guy. He just runs every day. Okay, and he does like at least 30,000 steps a day. This is also a reflection of the types of friends we have. Like on, on my WeChat, the number one is t- at 27,000 steps. Gavin's is at 39,000 steps. We know that Keep, they've got over 13 million MAUs now. Do you think that uh, things that you mentioned with the rise to fitness, the infrastructure, COVID, health and wellness, these are all the things that have contributed to, to Keep success? To my knowledge, there's no Western equivalent to Keep. Um, it's a Chinese phenomenon amongst itself. What's behind their success? And do you see that they might have global ambitions like ByteDance? I, I will look, look, look back into the, the whole in, insight around sports, you know, from my own personal perspectives. I think that the, the, the cool thing about sports is the, the, the better you are at it, the more you enjoy doing it. And I think that's, that's what was driving the whole thirst for, for knowledge too, right? So I think at the first, first stage, people were starting to accept and, and, and start to play sports. Because they felt that hey, you know, it could make me healthy, make me lose weight, and etc. And then as they started to do it, and then they started to, to get better at it. And then they wanted to, do, they wanted more more tools to help them get better at it. And that's where the whole the whole thirst for better products and that can improve your run, you know, through shoes, beach, or for footwear or apparel. Uh, that that first came about, right? I think we just have better gear to let me run and run better, faster, harder, you know. And then beyond the physical tools, you started looking for, for a community, uh, people that can help me, you know, and, and uh, to run better together, give me advice and tips. And then I think that started, just drove the whole thirst for, for knowledge, you know, and then it could be physically or through a, through a friends or through a network. And then eventually it started to become digital apps right? now why not why can't I have training courses I could access any time of the day they can just be my companion you know when I play my my, my sport or just tools that can improve my my, my game and, and then it started to see that these were effective these were useful they could really help me improve my game and then just started just a snowball effect right? everybody started to get together you know and then that, that thing about sport I go back to is there's always no limit you know and you just, just get better like this year you can do 10Ks next year, you know, you try for a 15K and then 20K and just keep going and keep pushing yourself. And that's the beauty of sport, right? You never know how far far or how hard you can play. And then you just want to just to, to experiment and try. And I think sport also has a very interesting feedback system. You get feedback immediately, right? Today, I can do 5K and in, in under 30 minutes. Tomorrow, let me try you know, a shorter time, a faster pace and just keep going and keep going. And that's where the whole repetitiveness 
of of the of the sport, just fed into this thirst for for knowledge. It's also like to your point, uh, micro improvements, right? Mm. And uh, the tooling and that you have through mobile applications mm. just makes you that much better. And then the component, the social media component, is you basically mm-hmm. checking in with your friends and finding out what it is that they're doing that's improving their performance, and then you're kind of feeding off of each other's information, knowledge, to make each other's game a lot better. Yeah, yeah. That's what it sounds you, like. You mentioned the game. I think this is just truly the gamification of sport, right? So yeah, there's, there's always there's this belief that if, if, you, if it's not on social media, then you never gone for the run. So it's a lot of people start to use social media to just... Seeing as believing. As boasting rights. Hey, my data after the run is more important than me going for the run. So after I run down my run, track my data, and I want to be... I want to celebrate my achievement after this run and then sort of inspire and then just show everybody else, hey, you know, I, I just, I'm just going after a very healthy lifestyle. This is what I've done. You know, and then that's the interesting thing about the beauty of sport. It's measurable. You know, and metrics. You can track that you know, improve yourself also give you a bit more social data social metrics here you know that they can be shareable as well China's still a very big and very attractive market mm-hmm. um, so Gavin in your mind is there still room for sports brands in this market and and if you were to launch or if you were to make any recommendations what would your recommendation be for an upcoming athlete luxury or athleisure brand for this market? To answer the question, I will go back to the whole, at the very beginning when I mentioned the, the, the evolution of, of sports you know, that I've, I've been very fortunate to witness. I think back at the, at the very beginning, right, you see that. I remember this story someone told me you know, in Beijing, I think in 07, if you saw somebody running, right, you would look behind him to see who was going after him. Right? So then, then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he was... He was running away from somebody or somebody going after him, you know. <laughs> Nobody actually ran, you know. That really is a reflection, right? You know, then of, of the very roots of the whole of the whole sports category, right? So it was something very f- new, very foreign, very objective-driven. It's purely about what can I get out of it, you know, physically, getting better, getting healthier, you know, losing weight and things like that. That was the whole context at the beginning. And then around the Beijing Olympics where everybody started to realize the 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 opportunities that sports could bring right? commercially, culturally, you know, the, how it could actually spur a lot of development in across many many realms of life, and that's where we see that as the whole society and and society and nation started to gravitate around growing this appetite and feeding, you know, and also uh, growing the 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 whole demand for sports, we see that naturally people started to want to play sports. And they want to play sports, they will, they will start at the very beginning, at the entry level, which we, we like to define it as just putting on a pair of everyday shoes and going out for a quick walk, a brisk walk, you know, a light run, and play some badminton, etc. And then as you get better and better at, at the game, you know, you realize that, hey, I need some better gear to support this. And that's where you see that uh, the, the, the whole rise of the demand was easily matched you know, by what was available at that time, you know, I think you look at the the the, the usual suspects, the 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 usual the, the juggernauts, you know, across the global brands like uh, in 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 the, in the states, in, in in Europe, they were all readily available and and chance about this opportunity here and could just easily uh, provide all these different apparel and products and tools that could they could meet this demand. And then around that time, I remember also there was also a famous young guy called Yao Ming who played in the NBA, 
and then just really ignited a whole frenzy of, of basketball fever. Uh, he, I think he represented a whole new uh, generation, you know, and ignited a whole new wave of basketball fever. And everybody started to, to realize that, you know, basketball is cool, it's fun. And then we are also now able to play in, 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 this, in this game that is highly watched, highly admired. And I want to be like, be like, be like him as well. Okay. So that's what was, to me, was the first stage of the growth. So it was purely a, 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 a wide open opportunity, you know. The, the 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 demand for sports was was ripe for the for the picking, and then what was available at the time, you know, from the Western brands just came in there and just met the need. Eventually, the second wave, to me, was as you get better. As I mentioned, you started to demand for better and, and harder working products that look good and so played hard. So what happened was, all of the other niche brands came in. So if you look at running, right, from the brisk walking to the 10Ks, to the marathons, to the trail runs, to the ultra marathons, you know, you just need specialist products to meet those uh, emerging sports. And that's where we saw, you know, the next wave of sports brands who, what we call the, the vertical brands, the niche brands here, going after and serving those needs because they just had the specialist focus areas developing those products that allow people to you know, to play in those very, very specific sports. So you look at, I think, uh, uh, the sport of hiking, you know, trail running, you know, even uh, very hardcore uh, basketball, you know, or football, or street basketball. It's just emerging sports started to, uh, to arrive, and then those uh, vertical sports brands started to fill in this market. And right now in the third phase, right, I think it was very well represented in the Winter Olympics. I think that's where... The, the local brands like Anta, Lining, uh, and, and Terpu, Xstep, you just you, you just ready for the whole, ready to take the stage, so to speak, right? There was the as I mentioned, it was the second coming of sport. The local brands started to get get wiser and get savvy behind the, the behind the products. They they made better products. Uh, they were they were design savvy. They knew what the consumers wanted, and they started to develop and also feed into this market marketplace. And I think I still see very similar. A very similar trajectory to actually my ex boss used this analogy before. A very similar trajectory to the mobile mobile space. Uh, at the time, it was the Nokia's, and then the the, the Ericsson's, right? There's, there's the Samsungs and the iPhones dominated the market, and then eventually, uh, more and more specialist needs uh, uh, were were uh, were developed by you know, and people started to to gravitate towards the local brands like the Oppo, Huawei, etc. And that's where they started to stand up because they could provide the same kind of level of, of functionality, you know, and the same, uh, be it design-wise or functionality, you know, they could meet the same need. And that to me, it seems like the same trajectory that we're seeing for the sports uh, apparel industry. So do you think that the era of the big, the Nike, Adidas, it's that the big dominance of those two brands in the market, it's it's over because of the local brands, because of the niche brands. Do you see that their leadership is under threat now because of the diversification of the market and their inability to keep up? There's no question that Nike and Adidas are massive brands in China, hugely popular, loved by millions. What was the turning point? Was it the Olympics? I think that's a really interesting question. I think the, the from my point of view, it's all about, it's very cyclical. I think that the interesting thing about the whole industry is about it's very driven by by, by trends that there are a lot of times are beyond your control. I remember when I was a kid, right? 
back in the, the early two, 2000s, almost. And there was also a very crazy frenzy for, for basketball shoes. Uh, basketball culture drove the trend, you know, for sneaker, sneaker culture. And there's a lot of uh, demand for uh, basketball-driven uh, footwear silhouettes around um, basketball on-court and off-court culture, the trend of music, you know, the, the trend of, of, of fashion driven by basketball. Right? And I think and then eventually it started to, you see, uh, evolve into a much more uh, streetwear, skate-driven culture. And that's when we started to see the rise of, of people like Converse, you know, Jack Purcell's, and the Chuck Taylor's cultures, you know, and just, I think it just represented a different taste, a change in taste at the time. And then, so if you go back to, uh, go back to your question, I, I would say that I think these are all very friendly and familiar brands that we've all been very familiar with. And, and obviously I see them, you know, playing a very big and, and long role in, in this industry for sure. You know, I think to me, it's, it's purely about a change of taste. You know, I think the cha- things are changing. You know, people just want something different. You know, just, just want something something new. You know, and I think that a lot of times, uh, this is actually effectively the home court. This, this is the home court of, of a lot of the local brands. So it's obviously much easier for them to adapt. You know, and serve the needs of their home, home of the home base. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the brands that they are have, have come into into this in the China. They just need to get, get savvier around the, the very, very rapidly changing taste of the consumers in this marketplace. It's almost thinking also, to some, to some extent, Japan has, Japan has their own homegrown brands. Mm, mm. I think in every market, there's always mm. kind of a home base and there's always mm. like a challenger brand. And in fact, when you look at Tiger and you look at Mizuno, all these guys, really yeah. good quality products. But what puts a niche brands at an advantage today? Uh, what advantage do, you, do young companies and niche brands have facing larger corporates? Where are these niche brands in China coming from? You know, are they Chinese? Are they coming from abroad? What's going on? The emergence of these niche brands is really a reflection of the, the current market context, right? I think, as I mentioned, you look at the how, how people have evolved in their sporting sophistication. Before, you're running the average 2K, 3Ks, now you're doing ultra marathons, you know. And then that's where the opportunities started to, to develop. Uh, there were many, many small pockets of niche sports. I think if you, if you go back to the question, niche brands, I think niche brands uh, have a role to play because of the emergence of niche sports. And if you look at running, I think it's the best example. I I personally love running. Is you know you have like, like you have the casual runs, you have the sprints, you have the the ultra runs. You know the, the family runs. There's all kinds of runs that that the brands can start to slice and dice across, and then to serve different different occasions, now different sporting occasions, different sporting needs, different sporting moments. And that that to me was almost like the how you dissect the different needs uh, of, of one type of activity. Yeah. And that grew the whole demand for niche brands because I think it's a lot easier to focus, right? I think the, the whole industry uh, you know, requires a lot of focus here because everything moves so quickly, you know, demands change very quickly, and how do you keep up? And I think to, to keep up, sometimes you just need to focus. So how, how do you find the right uh, niche, niche consumers to go after? And I start serving that need, and they start to, to scale from there. You ask me the advantages that niche brands have to impl- have in place is to really be very focused on what this this niche consumers want, and then serve those needs very very well. From there on, demonstrate how you can improve the performance in the game, and then your your, your relevancy start to stick.
And a question related to that and your current position at Lululemon, how do you balance sports and fashion? The, the fact of the matter is probably a large majority of Lululemon customers probably don't work out that much. Uh, I did actually worked on the Muzono business, uh, the Japanese sports brand, which a brand I really love. I think that their quality and performance is fantastic. There was a time where the company was doing exceedingly well on their fashion casual side of the business. And so there was a debate internally in the company is like, should we abandon performance? And should we just focus on fashion and not show a lot of advertising about performance? Is performance necessary? Or, you know, given the fact that probably 90% of Muzono's customers are not like you, Gavin, and, and don't run extensively, they probably just wear them, you know, for casual reasons. Should brands focus more on the fashion side or do they need to maintain their performance credentials? Maintaining um, sporting credentials actually gives you an, an advantage and a point of difference you know, against the competition. I think if you lose that, that edge, then it's, it comes down purely about, about the design language, right? You know, how, who was your designer? You know, what kind of uh, avant-garde designs are you going after? Who's the top designers you can sign? You know? And then you enter that space you know, that's really hard to compete against, uh, in my point of view. You know, if you go, if you, if you underpin your offering, you know, through sport, and then you introduce a lens of functionality. Clothes just drive, drive faster. You know, it, it just allows you to, to play harder and you know, work harder in, in your game. And then you have that point of difference that separates you from the other brands. So I, I would say that if you to truly, truly be relevant in the sports fashion uh, uh, industry, you definitely need to have some roots in, in, in sports. And as I mentioned earlier, that now that sports has become part of a lifestyle, you know, it, it really literally means that you can do sports anytime, you know. If I'm just going to work, you know, I want to go after, go for a run after after work. I, I can do that, you know, in, in my little lemon apparel, you know, in my in my shoes, and and that's that's the whole beauty about being rooted in sport, you know, being able to allow your consumers to work hard in them, but also look really good in, in them as well. And that's the beauty of marrying the two here, because it's something that, as I mentioned, it's just a reflection of your your of of your new status now. So, Gav, we have a, a lot of young people that are, you know, that are listening to our show. And for anyone that's excited about getting into sports marketing, what are three things you wish someone had told you when you got into the industry and you'd like to share those with some of these young people around the world? I feel so, so blessed and so fortunate to be able to be working in this, in a category and industry that's so close to me, you know, as part of my life. I grew up collecting sneakers, you know, you know, just always thirsty for the latest drops and that you can, you can only uh, pander after in, in magazines, you know, on websites, you can never afford them. We just went to the store every week to seek out the latest drops. You know, you turn on the TV to watch Michael Jordan on, on the TV, watch Zidane on the, on the field playing and then you just feel that, wow, you know, it's, there's a the whole different world there that just, just gets you so excited about 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 everything, about, about life, you know, it gives you a lot of a lot of promise around how, you know, sports can be exciting and can be a part of your everyday life, you know. And that to me was the, I think that that, that, that to me is almost like the, I would, I would say the prerequisite, but it really helps. You know, it helps that if you are familiar with the game, you know, be it the actual game itself or the culture of the sport. Once you know about the culture and the game, then you become effectively the consumer, right? And I think in, in marketing, it's all about owning the consumer and being the consumer and then knowing 
how your consumer feels and, and wants. Yeah, and then that's where do your you do your part in within the field of marketing to just and just speak to uh, speak to uh, as a voice of the consumer to say, hey, you know what? This is how I think as uh, an eighteen year old version of me would want to be seeing this piece of marketing or this piece of advertising. You know, if I was was I was, I was a runner now, you know, at th- at thirty two, uh, I'm a mid level runner. I do hundred miles uh, a month. These are the kind of things that I would need to to see and hear about a pair of shoes or a piece of apparel. And then that's where you can can provide a lot of, of real insights here. They can they can uh, they can affect the kind of the work that you, that you would do. And the last thing for me is once you are a part of sport and then you just you just you just part of the culture and then the culture is so infectious and so fun you know and I think that's where where the, the, the whole uh how should I say the, the excitement of the game comes in. You know that when you you celebrate the wins, you know you celebrate the the the, the losses, and then you try to uh, uh, apply some of these cultures within the, the within the work environment, and that's that's where it's just there's a very very close blend of of the game, you know, in life and also uh, in, in in sport. That's awesome. I feel so lethargic now. <laughs> I feel so lazy, and I need to get out. You you exude this uh, this energy, Gavin. Uh, that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will also uh, uh, go out for a run after after listening to listening to you. So, uh, Ali, are we ready for the A/B test? Let's do it. We're ready. So, Gavin, just so that we can explain to you what the uh, what the A/B test is. A stands for Ali. B stands for Bryce. We're gonna basically fire, shoot, or we're gonna throw two question, two words, two sentences, two options at you. Um, you pick either of the two, whatever comes first to your mind. We can discuss, we can laugh, we can talk about them, but uh, whatever comes first to your mind. I'm going to start with the first one. It might be a little cliche, but we'll mm-hmm. get a bit serious as we go down. Laksa or Kaoya? Oh, right away. I laksa. Osaka or Tokyo? Tokyo. You two or Bon Jovi? You two. Nike or Adidas? Adidas. Adidas or Lululemon? Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> Running or biking? Running. Beers or whiskeys? Beers. Uh, steaks or burgers? Steaks. Beijing, Shanghai? Shanghai. Number 10 or number 7? Number 10. NBA or the amazing CBA? NBA. I said the amazing CBA. What's yeah, wrong ama- with the CBA? The amazing NBA. But what's wrong, what's wrong with the, the CBA? <laughs> I just love the NBA. <laughs> you like it a lot more. <laughs> the Premier League or the Super League? The Premier League. Hey, Gavin. Uh, thanks a lot for being on this show. Uh, we really appreciate it. It was great insight, uh, very motivational, and best of luck for you and best of luck to Lululemon. Thank you. Thank you, Bryce and Ali. It was my, my pleasure to be part of the show. And thank you, everyone, for being on today's show. Join us in two weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day. Great day.